Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's Friday, August 6th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 416. I'm your host. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined and I'm joined by Gita Jackson. Hey, what's up? That's me barking, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Uh, the whole time. I was just really, really wanted to talk. <laughs> Uh, well, next time you'll have to hear my Ella impression. Um. Oh, God. She's become so much more vocal. I went on vacation for 10 days, and she came back, and she was speaking full-on sentences in cat, cat language. Amazing. I opened the door, and she was like, meow, 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 And I was like, yeah, I guess you did miss me. Does she do that thing where she uses, like, human intonation sometimes? Cause, like, yes. Yeah. That's the part that always freaks me out is uh, my, my old roommates had a really awesome orange cat that like reliably when they're uncertain the pitch would go up at the end mm-hmm. of their like talk and it was like mm-hmm. question it was yeah. you could hear the question mark it was fucked yeah. up when she goes over to her food bowl and goes meow i know exactly what she's asking <laughs> for and no it's eight o'clock you don't get fed for another hour baby you gotta wait <laughs> uh we also got our producer ricardo Contreras. hi my cat likes to very much intonate whenever she doesn't want to do something, like get down off the counter. She's like, meow. <laughs> it goes down. Yeah. She's unsure of you. <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> angry little teenager. Well, yeah, Kata, your love- cat is a troublemaker, right? Ish. Yeah. 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 I love her, though. <laughs> How could you not? She's beautiful. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she's gotten much more cuddly r- recently, which is very nice, but also uh, has decided that climbing things is the new sport. She used to be very like, I'll get up on a counter and sit, but not try to get on top of the kitchen cabinets sort of deal. Do you have a sufficient supply of cat trees? No, I no. This is a mm. tiny apartment. I don't have any cat trees. I have shelves. Well, I have bookshelves that she she's got free reign of the bookshelves. She can jump Kato, on the anywhere cadenza. a person can walk. Anywhere a person can walk is a place a cat tree could go. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I need those I spaces to walk. Nope, sorry. Uh, the feline proletariat needs it more. Uh, it's like that scene in Doctor Zhivago where like two humans could traverse this this walkway into the kitchen. Or one cat could have a four-story <laughs> playground. Oh, God. No, she's, like, got this shelf that did, she didn't used to get up on in the, in, the, in the restroom that has plants and small vials of, like, there's, like, our, um, what's it called? Tooth, tooth floss comes in a little glass vial because it's a refillable thing instead of a... Oh, yeah. 
the fancy floss. Yeah. I should probably get on that too. I've been and trying to remove single use plastics in my life. Yeah. Christina's very much the like, she always looks for the thing that is like, I can refill this. I'm not throwing away as much every time we get a new one. Um, yep. But now that's that. Ended up in the sink. Oh, also, my sink doesn't have the little, you know, the little thing that stops shit from going down it. Yeah, I don't have that either. I don't. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not been there for ages. Yeah, <laughs> for years. And well, so also, she padded the clogged. fucking floss down there uh, the other night, and it's just like a hell to try to catch out. But yeah, now we now we just lock the cl- the not lock but close the restroom door where usually you didn't have to think about it. Yeah, but now now that cat is everywhere. Everywhere. She's bigger, taller. She can jump higher. Wow. <laughs> wow. She's more powerful now. More powerful. She's, she's watching the Olympics. She's inspired. She's got Olympic fever. Yeah. Uh, I heard the climbing competition was great. Uh, so now she has to uh, go for gold in Kato's house. She's yeah. training um, for I mean, 2028 or whatever. Is that? I don't know yeah. numbers. <laughs> all cats should go to the Olympics, but just for being cats. And they all get gold medals because they're all go- very good at being cats. Yeah. I wanted to ask, are there any parts of your house that your pets are afraid of? Because Mike, Ella really hates the bathroom. I don't, she's scared oh. of it. When I go in there, she'll stand outside of it like worried, waiting for me, but she won't enter. Like she will not cross the threshold into the bathroom area. <laughs> I have the opposite problem with Una. It's like she yeah, will she seems never, she loves the she bathroom, loves everything, everywhere. The one, <laughs> the only place she's afraid of now is the windowsill because she got out onto it once and was trapped uh, for like an hour, and we couldn't get her down. Oh, baby! Yeah, I eventually dangled <laughs> a bag that she like crawled into, and it was amazing that she did it. But she really likes. She, we have a bag cat. She loves getting into bags. And I was just like, hold on, oh, let me tie cute. a rope to this Ikea thing and dangle it out this second story down onto the <laughs> awning she jumped into. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what an adventurous cat. I can yeah. see now she would not want to return to a windowsill ever again for no, the rest no, of her life. Now she's like, no. Yeah, I'm going to climb on everything else, everything though. Else not though. the... Yeah. <laughs> is, is, Gina, I'm curious. Is your cat... Did your cat draw a salutary lesson from her escape into the garden, or does she now view the garden as like, let me back out? I must roam. She free. Let me back out so that I can fight every cat that lives <laughs> oh, in the feral no. colony that's in the connected lots of all our backyards. She wants to. Oh, she's kill the bad guys and the cats. warriors. Yes, she is. <laughs> what warriors come out to play? That's what she's saying on a daily basis. The joke that David and I have is that if she could operate a gun, it would be over for every other mammal. <laughs> she oh, hates no. all of them. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> She sits on the window still stalking. I heard like yowling the other night and it was her screaming at another cat. She hates them. <laughs> um that's that's me since the bars in my neighborhood reopened. Uh, <laughs> Just sitting <laughs> waiting for we, your time. We have um look, I'm not anti-fun, but we have two bars near us that have the worst reputations in town for different reasons. One is like politically connected apparently. And so like just no noise complaints are ever enforced. Mm. Nothing's ever done about the fact that their clientele loves to get like pissed drunk and fight each other in nearby parking lots. Right. Um, To say nothing of the fact that nobody who goes there 
is in walking distance. So it's like two in the morning. You just hear people getting in their cars and uh, getting on no. their bikes and rolling out. No. And I'm like, cool. That's that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad nobody's doing anything about that. Uh, and then there's another place that has a reputation for uh, carting absolutely nobody. Um, and uh, yeah, just encouraging the most degenerate type behavior. Uh, meanwhile, uh, yeah, Mina is also letting us know how we how we feel about these things. Uh, hey, so while I deal with this, I am just going to I am just going to kick it up. <laughs> Gita, tell yeah. me about Neo. The world ends with you. Tell us about the world ends with you uh, and why people love it so much. And then talk about the new game. And Kato, you can just mute this part of the track. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's so excited to hear about Neo. The ends with, world ends with you, Kato. I so I mean I have to tell a very important story. Honestly, um, right before college is when the world ends with you came out. And I had, for various reasons, not really a strong friend group in high school. Um, I was the only non-white family on my block. <clears throat> I was also, you know, a girl and a nerd. And it's really difficult a lot of the time to foster community when you feel like no one else likes the things you like or is interested in them. <laughs> so I played this game, The World Ends With You. Because I had gotten birthday money and bought a Nintendo DS. And I was like, well, I'll probably bring the DS to college. And things will probably just be the same in college. And, you know, I'll just live with that. And then I played The World Ends With You. And I left the Nintendo DS at home. <laughs> and I was like, no. The lesson that this game taught me is that friendship is too important to deprive myself from it. I have to, the boundaries of my own world do begin and end with me and I have to be make a proactive choice to make friends. And it was probably the best decision I could have made <laughs> for college, I would say. <laughs> Way better than just being a little nerd playing my video games all the time. But it was a game that I really needed. And I think that that's the thing that people have in common, uh, big fans of this game have in common. We really needed to hear the message of it's okay to feel misunderstood, but there are people who will understand you if you just give them a chance. Um, and beyond that, though, it's a game with an incredibly strong point of view. It's a, one of the few games I think that really utilized the Nintendo DS's dual screens. The combat, you know, it's asymmetrical. So you're controlling one character with the stylus on the bottom screen and then another character with the directional buttons on the top screen. And when you get it right, usually it's chaos. But when you get it right, you feel like you've done some kind of magic trick. It's like incredible. Um, then the game was like a middling success. And like it was like it's a very niche game in the States. So I was... Never expecting the Square Enix to make another one of these ever again. <laughs> you know, this came out in 2007. It's been a really long time, but um, they did, they did do it. They did make another yeah, one. It happened. Yeah, it happened. And it's really, really good. <laughs> I really like it a lot. It really captures the mechanical feeling of the original game without being a complete retread of the original. Um, Neo, The World Ends With You also, I think, is primarily built for people who did not play the original because mm. it is so, um, 
it's difficult to get your hands on it, you know. You can find a copy of the the DS original, but the DS isn't supported anymore. You have to get it used. You'd have to already have a DS. And the emulation, because it relies on touchscreen control so much, I would not recommend emulating it. I don't know if emulation technology has improved, but I know that when I was first trying to emulate games with touchscreen controls, I was having a very hard time finding an emulator that would register register them correctly. I'm talking, of course, about Tokimeki Memorial Girl Side, where you have to make the Valentine's Day chocolates by going doing a puzzle where you go left and right. And I always fuck it up because I can't get the touchscreen on the emulator to work. Um, and I give people like rancid chocolates and then they don't want to date me. But whatever. Fine. So it is, you know, this serves for most people, I think, as their introduction to what the world ends with you is as a concept. And I think it's an incredibly good introduction to that world. I don't think everyone will like this game and it is like incredibly tedious in some ways, but I think that I am now rolling up on the end of the game and I feel like the ultimate message of community is ex- in the same way that the message of friendship was really sewn through all the mechanics and all the story beats and all the side quests in the original game. The message of community and like cities are made out of people, communities are made out of people, and all these people are connected to each other in surprising ways. That is, to me, similarly sewn through this game. They've taken the base concept of like two people connecting to each other. In the original World Ends With You, you, um, you're... This is a game that has like the cadence of a CW show, both of them. <laughs> you are the uh, a dead teenager who is playing the Reapers game in Shibuya. Um, and the Reapers game is like an, a game of the afterlife where either your soul gets erased or you win the game and you're allowed to return to the real world. Um, you know, the Reapers game takes place in the UG, the underground, and the real world is the, the RG, the real world. You know, a lot of these... Uh, the Reapers game is usually just a week, but of course, for convoluted reasons, you play for multiple weeks, etc., etc. It's very episodic. You know, both games take place over a matter of weeks where each day there's a new mission, a new mystery. It feels very television to me in a way that's very satisfying because you can just like grab an episode <laughs> and have some major drama happen over the course of that day. And then the next day, the next chapter will start. And it's also like a self-contained mission that builds off the previous day. Um, but more than that, it's just like all the things that the go- the characters go through, the stakes are so teenagery in a way that I find very, very comforting. Uh, one of the recent missions I just did that I really, really liked was one character had to help another character accept that their friend was too far gone to save. So you had to like, the game just made you have repeated conversations with this friend to show that you support them and not piss them off. It was like a tutorial for people who don't know how to be there for a friend who has to make a difficult decision. You know, it's so empathetic Mm. towards the kinds of things that teens go through. It feels... Like, it's written for them in the same way that CW shows are really definitely written for teenagers. You know, Gossip Girl is a show where the logic is completely based on what teenagers think is important. 
right? <laughs> like, even the what the adults do, especially what the adults do in that show, is not based on any adult logic. They're all horrible. <laughs> like, the parents in Gossip Girl are among the... I think that's what... Um, God, not Armin Shimmerman, that other really great actor, the guy who plays... Uh, Blair Waldorf's mother's Jewish husband. Fuck. I can't believe I forgot this. Where's <laughs> David when I need him? Um, he said that the real monsters on Gossip Girl are, are all the parents. And it's just because they're, they are also cheating and lying in the same way that teenagers do. They have teenage priorities. Uh, like It's like, yeah, similar in this game. Even the characters who are adults operate on this teenage logic where the teenage world of clothes and fashion are actually like, as important to the fate of the world as you think it is. And teamwork, learning how to work with other people is also vitally important to the fate of the world. Uh, I love the shit out of it. Also, every song is Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, just a quick question there about um, the fact that the game extends more, like, goes more than a week. week. Um, one of the issues I know in, in, uh, our view, uh, by CZ Zhang, uh, mentioned that in some ways the stakes of the game felt a little bit undercut by the game's use of like time travel mechanics or some, uh, resetting <laughs> of the timelines. Uh, and, and yeah. I um, and I'm I, curious how that plays out in practice in terms of like how do they how do how do they squeeze more than a week's worth of action into that week, and does it did it feel like contrived to you? Did it ever feel like it uh, lessened the stakes? No, <laughs> um, I read CCJ's review, and you know I think I, I pretty much landed on the opposite <laughs> of every single conclusion that they drew. Uh, for me, yes, when so the main characters of the game all have additional psychic power. Okay, actually, I have to back up a little bit more. The main characters of the game in Neo, The World Ends With You, um, are Rindo, Fret, Na and Nagi. And then they have additional team members that will join over time. The first game, you only had like a partner. And each week, you would switch out to a different partner. But here, you build a team over time. So each of these characters will have an additional psychic power that they can use in gameplay, um, outside of battle exclusively. You know, Fret has the ability to remind people of things they may have forgotten. Uh, Nagi has the ability to dive into people's minds and find, you know, rid them of the noise that's clouding them their thoughts. Uh, later characters have other different abilities as well. Um, and Rindo's ability, he discovers, is that only in moments of extreme crisis, like when he's about to die, he can roll back time to the beginning of the day. And the first time that happened, I was like, this is like a very clever plot mechanic for you to like <laughs> fi fix all your stupid mistakes, huh, writers? But in practice, I actually found because of the limitations they put on it, and they're very consistent about those limitations, it works like those other powers. Like... You know, Nagi and Fret's powers also could be plot breaking if the plot allowed for it. But they always have like Rindo use the power before something else life threatening happens so that the stakes still there remain. You can't just undo everything at will. The game will prompt you to the time when you have to use Rindo's power. And sometimes they do it in very plot interesting ways. They like to mix it up a lot. 
you know, so you're building this team, but the, the game will, the narrative will create situations where sometimes one player is out of the team. Or say maybe you want to split your team up to cover more ground, so you're only going to be playing with this character. You know, making the, um, the combat a little bit more varied against your will in a way that's very fun. And it's very similar. It's pretty much the exact same way the processor works with the time turning back mechanic for Rindo. It's like, it only happens if it will progress the story, actually. And uh, it will only happen to give the writers more situations to have character writing in them. The game really is about the character writing and to get the characters in interesting situations, which is, again, I think another similarity it has with television writing in general. Um, so there's one situation where Rindo, the chapter starts and sometimes Rindo will have visions of the future and he's like, oh, I guess I got to turn time back today because that looks like we're all about to die. Um, but in one of the chapters, it starts and he's like, wait, this isn't a vision. This is real. I have to turn back time now. But why don't I remember what happened today? Let me just go to the earliest thing I remember and try to figure it out from there. And then it becomes this whole mystery. Like, what happened today? Why can't Rindo remember anything? And, you know, as you discover that, it's like one of the best chapters in the game, I thought. Um, it's, it's thoughtful, I think, just in how it deploys these techniques. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm curious, and I, I imagine it's also very unlikely something can hit the same way when you're like 30 that it did when you're like 20. Uh, yeah. you know, but like, and I, I think that's a, a thing I struggle with sometimes is like, so much of my, so many of my formative experiences are associated with a feeling of like the, the feeling of discovery that sort of like bolts from the blue, like holy shit, and that gets harder and harder to come by uh, as you grow a bit older uh, and experience more stuff. Um, and so I, I am curious, like allowing for that, does this game hit as hard in terms of like having? real raw honest things to say to its characters and via that to its audience uh as as the first game uh do you think its objectives are different because it does seem like that experience of uh the world ends with you giving some much needed real talk to people at a similar point in their lives uh was, was pretty widely shared uh i'm curious is this game even going for that and uh does it succeed you know, it's hard for me to judge that because I was, as I, I was thinking about this last night as I was playing, like, I don't need this game in the way that I needed this game when I was a young person. When I was a young person, I needed to play a game that would convince me to go outside. <laughs> and The World Ends With You really did that for me. And that was a huge turning point in my life. Now I'm like an adult, <laughs> like living with my, my partner you know, I'm like texting my mom to ask if they have like rings so we don't have to buy one. <laughs> you know, like we're, we have friends, we have a backyard. I'm really literally living my dream in terms of my career. I don't need to be convinced to make connections with people. I don't necessarily need that. But there are, I can very easily imagine as I play this game, someone playing it and developing the same connection that I had to the original one. And it, it has to do with really those three characters, Nagi, Fred, and Rindo. They go through things that I think most teenagers will have to experience in their lifetimes. Like, again, the, the character who, um, the chapter where you really just have to learn how to 
help a friend through a difficult decision, you know? That's something that everyone will have to do in their lifetime. Or there's another chapter where um, Fret learns that he comes off as extremely disingenuous when he compliments people because he's always joking around. And he has to deal with how that's damaged his relationships and whether or not it's like too late for him to make amends. And, you know, Nagi's whole thing is that uh, she doesn't get as much development as the other characters, but her old, the whole thing is that she is a huge, weird loner, <laughs> like a fandom girl. And once she gets to meet other people, she learns that they actually aren't put off by her interests and they like her. I really appreciated the ways that these are written very subtly and very realistically. I think Nagi in particular is a completely unique kind of character, one that is so true to life. It's so true to so many of the people who will play this game's life. She's essentially like, she's older than them. They were, they're, Frindo and Fred are shocked to learn she's in college because she's like an emotionally stunted weirdo who gets incredibly upset with them because she can't get the limited edition pin of her favorite character from her favorite gotcha game. Mm. <laughs> so they have to like make amends with her and convince her that they weren't trying to scam, like get the last of these limited edition pins and then convince her to be on their team. And she really views the entire world through this game, uh, Elegant Strategy, also known as Alestra, which is de almost definitely fate. Yeah. <laughs> she keeps talking about how she needs to read the new chapter in Alestra, but she can't get read it until she gets back to the RG. That's <laughs> her entire motivation. <laughs> um, that and uh, one of the characters on the team looks like her favorite character, Lord, Lord Tono Tomonami. And the voice actor uh, in English and Japanese is really just going for it whenever they act out how how Nagi freaks out whenever she sees this guy. She's just always like, ah! <laughs> you know, just like really losing her mind. Um, and it's it's really just like well, a joy to be around her. And it's also I just think a reflection. You know, people are going to recognize themselves in her. People are going to look at her and be like, I don't think I've had something I relate to in this way in a piece of media before. Um, it's kind of a shame that she doesn't get more development, but it also just means that she gets to be the straight man to Rindo and Fret's emotional journeys. And you learn, actually, that she understands a lot about people. She just doesn't talk to them. And that is the way that she's learning to open up, is by actually being forced to be in a community with people. Um David has to use the DS, or the DS. David has to use the Switch today, so I can't, like, show you, but it's fine because it's a podcast because no one else can see. <laughs> um, but as you do the side missions for people, there's, like, a social network menu that starts expanding. And from there, if you actually bother to read the descriptions, which I started doing the other day, you can see that, like, people are in, in Shibuya are connected to each other in incredibly interesting ways, ways that you don't expect. Like, um... At Tower Records, which I think they didn't call this Tower Records in the original World Ends With You, and I think they're calling it Tower Records in the new one because they can now because Tower Records doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, they called it Towa Records, I think, in the original. Um, but this, the, there's a very cute shopkeeper at Tower Records who has a little bit of a stutter. Um, and then when you do her site, when you level up her in the social network, you learn that she 
has a stutter, but she's the lead singer of a punk band, and she's doesn't feel self-conscious about the stutter when she's on stage. And she's actually the lead singer of a punk band, and the drummer for that punk band is the guy who works at Psycho Records in Udagawa Backstreets. And the basis for the punk band is the shopkeeper from Tigra Punks, which is the punk clothing store in um Dogenzaka, I think? Probably not. I think that might be wrong. Um, but then you learn once you level up the wo- the middle-aged woman who works at the convenience store at West, West Exit Bus Terminal, when you level up her in the social network, you learn that she's a huge fan of their punk band. And she describes it as like the, her sole respite from the stresses of her daily life is headbanging to their music. And it's like, wow! <laughs> like everybody in the city is connected is the ultimate message she wants to tell you. That one person experiencing uh, pain will affect a huge web of people. And this is, you know, like the original game reflected in the mechanics, you get more and more team members added. Oh, and each psychic power they use in battle is mapped to a different button on the controller. So essentially, every time you press a button, you're activating a different character. And so every time you like battle, you could be dealing with a wildly different button map But the key is to continue having more than one character fight a monster at the same time so that you can build up your groove meter to do special mega attacks. And (laughs) that experience, you can begin to see like, oh, also in battle, if I treat each character like they're connected to each other, then I will be more successful. If I draw like a line between this attack, feeding into this attack, feeding into this attack, then I will be a better person. I will develop my groove meter faster and be better at playing this game. It's an extremely clever design. And it's even cleverer because it doesn't, it feeds you things like drop by drop, you know, First you have a partner, then you have a third team member, then you have a fourth team member, then you can do these special attacks, then you can get up your groove meter up to 200% and do another special attack, then 300%. You know, the complications keep are added so slowly, but by the time it feels so chaotic you can't explain to anyone, you understand it innately, which, I mean, it rocks. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Apologies, by the way, for at this point, I'm like, I don't think I've been this for the show, but we have a building inspector in the in the unit right now. And Mina is just having a full on freak out. And, and Kato, I am so sorry for how much weirdness is on my track uh, no during all this. There is uh, a solid 10 minutes of desperate bad, bad crinkling uh, in the background. Um, but that sounds like that sounds really, really cool. Um, about how much time have you put into it, uh, so far? Cause you said you're, you're rolling up on the ending, but like yeah. what you're describing sounds really like sweeping in scope, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it has that like TV season vibe. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm in the final season of a television show right now in a, yeah. in a very compelling way. Um, it does, the sweepingness feels is, I'm only realizing it now honestly, when I'm talking about it. Because when you're playing, it does feel so episodic. And because, like, the stakes, in term- the emotional stakes are pretty low. Like, there is, like, a world-ending threat, whatever. But, like, the actual stakes you care about are the things that happen to these kids. <laughs> so because you're just sort of like, wow, I hope Fred can tell this girl that he likes her, <laughs> it doesn't feel like so much you're dealing with um, a pretty heady, like, sort of, the game is just trying to impart upon you this idea that wherever you live, it's a community and you are a part of that community. 
you know, so it doesn't, it, it's, it's clever about how it shows that to you in the way, in the same way that I think the original game was clever about it, where, you know, by getting really good at this asymmetrical fighting in the original World Ends With You, you would become incredibly attached to your partner and then would be devastated if anything bad happened to them. Like, therefore, just continuing to impress upon you this idea that friendship is a partnership that requires trust and that should matter to you. Um, Whereas I just think, I think that is what makes this game a successor to the original is that it's using the design ideas from the original in ways that feel updated and feel modern, especially like it gets rid of a lot of menu tediousness. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing I do love that they did not add, uh, or at least they haven't added yet is there's no fast travel. You have to walk the map. I love that. And you still love that, even having played a fair bit. Because I'm always like, I am always like, I'm not using fast travel in this (laughs) game. And I can make it surprisingly far. And then I hit a moment where I'm like, I am not. (laughs) I can't go through this intersection again. I never want to see it again. Yeah. I mean, I went back to my old neighborhood this weekend. And uh, I was going to get a tattoo. And then the shop, the tattoo artist got there. And like, oh, they're installing air conditioning in this building today. So I think we're going to have to reschedule. And I was like, what? And um, I ended up just kind of walking around looking for a bench to sit on for a while while I ate a sandwich. And there weren't any because New York City has a war against the unhoused. Um, But it It took me until you said that to realize you weren't talking about the game. Yeah, I was talking about my real life. I was trying to get a tattoo and the tattoo parlor was closed because their AC was being replaced. I'm like, damn, this game has it all. Um, one time though in the game, the owner of a curry shop that was really good was closed. It closed the restaurant because he was depressed. And I was like, damn, that's what being a small business owner is all about, right? (laughs) Um, but yeah, in real life, I was like just walking around the neighborhood and running errands and remembering, oh, if I go down this street, then I will run into this store and that'll be a place for me to sit down for a couple of seconds and browse while I wait around for this to happen. Or, oh, I didn't know that this restaurant opened up on this street. And like that is the experience that no fast travel gives you in this game. Like the individual map portions are actually pretty small. You're not going to you know enter a, a portion of the map that's so big you'll get lost in it. So getting from place to place is actually pretty easy. It's so, but it just does, like, if something is happening in Urigawa Backstreets and you are in Shibuya Hikari, then you are going to have to walk all the way there, meaning that every single time you do it, you're going to have to learn all the landmarks. You're going to have to remember all of the, um, all of the shops that are in each, in each area, all of the restaurants. The game won't give you directions either, so you're going to have to memorize which section leads into what other section. Literally, it just feels like learning a subway map, you know? Like, just you have to do it a lot of times, and then you will understand the layout of this community. So, you know, it becomes like a weird pleasure by the end. You know, you're just like, oh, I got to finish this mission. But on the way, I'm going to stop by the Modi building and grab something from the vegetarian restaurant. That is so cool to hear. Because there are so many games that I think, it's a cliche, right? Well, the real character of the game is insert setting here. And I think that statement is almost always bullshit, by the way. It's exactly the same as people saying in this movie. It's like New York is its own character. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but I think in a lot of cases it's worse. Because I think movies, it's like, well, you at least have like a movie idea of New York, right? Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, where it's like, oh, the world is its own character in games. What that really means is it's big, skybox, yeah. pretty, yeah, uh, yeah. landmarks, <laughs> uh, like the the landmarks, 
somewhat preposterous. And that's, and that's about it. But what it doesn't communicate is a sense of, um, spaces don't get imbued with meaning. And that's how you navigate like places really is like a place becomes sort of real and mapped out in your mind and it's associated with something, even if it's just sort of a passing through place to a different, uh, you know, main street or something. And I think games really tend to like face plant at that. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool to hear you say that like you, you are getting that from the game Shibuya. Yeah, um, one of the best things I think in the game is how the shopkeeper's dialogues and expressions will change as you become a regular there. So there's a um, almost all of the shops I've now spent enough money because I just put the game on easy and then you know turn my level down and then chain. You can chain up to fifteen battles, so I just do that <laughs> and then I earn a ton of money. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, pretty much every shop except for the most expensive shop I've spent all my money at. So I'm like VIP level five for pretty much all of them. And like each VIP level, the dialogue will change like a little bit. Like it's go, it's like anytime you become a regular at like a coffee shop, you go in and the first couple times they don't know who you are. And then they slowly begin to recognize you. And then they slowly begin to know your order. And then you can have little conversations. And, like, the the relationship begins and ends in the store. But it's still, like, comforting both for you and the employee who gets to deal with someone who they know is friendly and tips well. <laughs> so it's, it's familiar. It's, like, fam- it draws upon experiences that are familiar and also are easily gamified. Like it's not con- a convoluted system of befriending people. It's just literally doing what you would do in real life, continuing to go to the store. I'm just thinking about how much uh, of my like how much I've gotten like fast tracked to VIP status via Mina uh, at this point <laughs> oh! because like they don't know they don't know me, yeah, but they know the dog, yes. Um, like at and and she has changed policy in our little section of downtown because like. There were so many times during the uh, during the part where everything was like um, you know occupancy limited and such, um, where I would just sort of go up and be like, "Hey, uh, do you allow dogs in here?" And I'd, like the answer is probably no, but they would mm-hmm. see Mina and they'd be like, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> uh, and so like now the entire neighborhood is like significantly more dog friendly than it was a year ago. Uh, in part because a bunch of new businesses were like, ah, fuck it, bring your poodle in here. Looks cute. Um, and now, of course, they they all have the vibe of, um, you know, bougie dog fighting rings, I guess. Hell yes. Because uh, everyone's rolling in there with their with their half-trained dogs. Yes, and a dog debate that we're going to air on Twitch. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, also, it, it is very funny. Mina and other uh like doodle type dogs, poodle and doodle type dogs do seem to be clickish in a weird way. Wow. Um, Are they dog mean girls? (laughs) But the thing is they feel like such salarymen in some ways. It feels like they, they're having meetings. It's like the the scene in polar bear cafe where the penguins are trying to like figure out what they're to do with this like massive order of penguin cards, uh, flashcards they ordered. Um, Cause who doesn't want penguin photos? Um, that's, that's kind of the vibe that the, uh, doodle meetings have. Um, but this game, oh, here's my last question. Okay. This game sounds really good. If you haven't played either of them, just start here. I would just start here. Okay. 
It's not necessarily an anthology, but at least the first week only introduces like one character from the original game and they do it in a way that I think is pretty friendly towards players of the original game. A lot of the mystery of this game is what happened in the game of the original game because the characters that you are playing as do not know. And so when they meet characters from the original game, it does not feel like they are unnecessarily inserted in or inserted in in ways that would be confusing to a new player. They're framed as, you know, three years ago, this game is set three years after the original. Three years ago, we had a legendary game that really shook things up. Oh, I wish you would have been there to see it. It's like when someone sees a really good concert <laughs> and they're like, that show was amazing. David was at the the quote unquote last LCD sound system show at Madison Square Garden. It was like that. It's like being able to say that. I went there. I was there. I saw that. Um, and so when the characters return, they have a reputation and I enjoy them because I love them all and I'm so excited <laughs> to see them back. And I love, um, the beat returns in the first game and he, it was like, just like, uh, uh, very much Seth Green from Can't Hardly Wait is how I'll describe him. <laughs> um, in that he's very into hip hop culture, but is white. So they portrayed him as kind of a dumb guy. <laughs> and, uh, or I suppose is Asian, is non-black. Um, and in the second game, the he's grown up a little and he's still that, but the way they've massaged the writing to sort of be less bleh, gross <laughs> is, I don't think the writing was gross in the original, but it has the potential to be gross in uh, 2021. Um, <laughs> they like just emphasize his dumbness way more and it's great. <laughs> He just comes off, he's like a really nice guy and he comes off as like Brian Quimby from Street Fight Radio, just like a nice guy from Ohio that has a wallet chain and wears baggy pants. <laughs> just, everybody is such a recognizable archetype. I really like them. Um, and so when they talk about other things that happened in the previous games, you know, you as a player of a, that's never played these games before, you're not going to pick up every reference, but the game is not dependent on you picking up these references. And that the only thing I think that tripped me up as a player of the previous game is that there is a character who shows up from the extra content in the Switch release of The World Ends With You. And I was like, who the hell are you? And they're assuming I think people played that. Um, but she is like an extremely minor character. She has like almost no relevance to the plot whatsoever. So it's not a big deal for me. As she deserves, from what it sounds like, from the intonation there. You're not an original World Ends With You character. I'm, You're an you imposter. Know, she is an imposter. <laughs> that is how I feel. I do think that the... So, this game does have character designs by Tetsuya Nomura. So, you don't... The the ways in which the Nomura's, Nomura nest shows up is in, I think, that extra content from the Switch release of The World Ends With You, which... I really disliked the Switch release, The World Ends With You. It just uses the same touch controls as the tablet release. And also, you like can't use the touch screen if it's docked. So you would have to use motion controls to play the game if you want to play it on your TV. Mm. Yes, yeah, sucks ass. Um, and there's no alternate you know, layout there. And I think like the dual screen thing was the thing that made that game make sense. If you removed it from the game, it feels like an okay visual novel, but it needs to have some kind of mechanic that reinforces that central theme of friendship in order for the game to actually work. And it just doesn't work. You don't get become as emotionally attached to the characters 
when you aren't literally acting out the way that they're learning to like each other. Um, and in that game, I didn't end up playing the extra content because I got there and literally the first boss in the extra content is a recolored version of a boss I had just fought. And I was like, this, you know, is annoying and I'm not <laughs> going to accept this. But Life's too short for palette swap bullshit. No. Fuck that. And it's just like... The plot stuff that they add is incredibly convoluted and explains how a character comes back to life, but I don't need an explanation. This is a game with magic in it. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. explaining shit that doesn't need to be explained, extra content for the sake of being there. It's completely useless. So when this character shows up, I am like, get out of here. I don't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is uh, Neo, The World Ends With You, uh, available now uh, for... Mm. Uh, available for that, available now uh, for what is is, it, is PlayStation as well? Yeah, it's Switch and PlayStation Four, yeah. which I did not realize. I like playing it on Switch a lot because I played the original on a handheld, and I like having it as a handheld game. It makes me a little nostalgic. But the the music and graphics are so good. PS Four is also a great option. It does stutter some of the graphics when you have too many graphical effects going on a little bit on the Switch, but not. It's not like twitchy or timing necessary gameplay, so it doesn't bother me. But if you are a person who's bothered by that, then maybe get the PlayStation version. But all right, that, yeah, uh, that sounds like a recommendation for me to go with the <laughs> PlayStation direction. Well, it's great because you'll be able to hear the incredible music on those massive speakers, right? Perfect. Yeah, you know the Love music. It. They remixed all the tracks in the original game, and they all sound incredible. And they added English versions to some of the tracks. And, like, some mm. of the new songs they recorded are incredible. The original game is mostly a hip-hop, uh, like, soundtrack, uh, almost exclusively. At that time, hip-hop music was, like, the, what you know, the er culture of the world. Um and the, the signifier of rebelliousness of the world. And things have shifted now. They've added a lot more rock tracks and like metal tracks, which is pretty cool. And then they're they good. do they're good. They're really good. There's this one like punk ballad that plays all the time that I have stuck in my head constantly. It's like, oh take a look at me. I'm not the boy you wanted me to be. Oh, Oh, I really need. Yeah, it's stuck in my head. It's they're all <laughs> earworms in the most infectious way. It reminds me a lot of like the, how much I loved music and how much I needed music when I was younger. You know, like all the songs are sung from that place. We'll see if you still still feel that way uh, after after this after that little recording has followed you around for years, being remixed and sampled uh, for really for all time. It was good. I loved it. I can't wait to see what people do with it, though. Well, you should just um, hear the fucked up songs I sing to my cat. Honestly, if you want to remix something, I will upload weird shit I sing to my cat for you. Perfect. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, and then we'll be back with uh, Kato. Is the, has the boat reached uh, fake England yet? No, it hasn't. But Kato, it went to Russia because I played Chernobylite instead. <laughs> okay. Kato, I, well. I also really need to talk to you about Gengar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> I really Christ. need to ask you about Gengar. <laughs> my boy. All right, <laughs> Look that, how they massacred the my boy. <laughs> 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back, and we are joined by special guest Gengar, Hello. Uh, who is appearing live <laughs> from Gita's apartment. Hello, I am Gengar. Uh, Gengar, uh, can you explain uh, what's happened to you lately and uh, why you feel you have been, quote, done dirty? Hmm, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Gengar. (laughs) This is my butt. And I'm Gengar. (laughs) I think only good things should happen to Gengar, but I heard something bad happened to Gengar. Gengar. I have to ask. Haven't you been feeling a little under the weather recently? You know, with all the... Nerfs going on. <laughs> Wait, did Gengar get COVID? Uh, What's COVID? Well, I guess he he got a, a type of bug. Yeah, actually. <laughs> um, That's true. All right, yeah, you kind of kind of lay it on us. Yeah. Uh, what what did how did they massacre your boy? Uh, uh, they killed his his combo on accident. I think. Uh, there's a bug right now where uh, literally like the most popular version of. Gengar. So most of the most of the Pokemon in in Pokemon Unite have two options for their two abilities that you can unlock, um, and the popular one to play with as Gengar was always uh, the Sludge Bomb Hex combo, where with Sludge Bomb you would put poison on a Pokemon, and with Hex you would jump to them and do uh, damage in AOE, and then. If the per- the person that you jumped on, did teleported to, had a status effect like poison, uh, it would reset the cooldown for hex. So the combo is you hit them with the poison, then you jump on them multiple times, each doing like a chunk of damage, teleporting to wherever they are moving next. It's horrifying to be jumped on by a, a good Gengar. Um, However, the second you like stun a Gengar, you're kind of fucked. So the teleporting aspect of it was very important and kind of helpful to survive as a Gengar. I mained Gengar because it's one of my favorite Pokemon from forever. So it's a great Pokemon. He's just an orange blob with a mean little smile. Yeah, and I love him and would do anything for him. Shit eating grin, and I love him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. David and I, I gave David this Gengar plushie for Christmas. Oh. And yeah, and he is stay with him through the pandemic when we didn't live together, which was nice. We've just created a complex interior life for him. He runs a master class about how to do pranks, and he doesn't spend any yep. of the money he earns from that, though. He's as a prank. <laughs> uh, that 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 sounds right. Yes, <laughs> exactly um, right. You don't touch the master class money. <laughs> <laughs> That's financial planning one hundred and one. Uh, when your time comes. To do a master class, uh, you just put that money away. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but so what they did is people were having trouble counterplaying because of the teleport, right? He disappears off screen and appears behind you, and uh, it can be hard to kind of track him. Uh, 
and what they did is they added they lowered the amount of invincibility frames you get when you jump and are invisible and teleport to someone which i think is fine like as uh i think it did feel a few times like i probably shouldn't have won that if they had thrown out they threw out a stun and it seemed like it was hit like i thought i was stunned but it turned out i wasn't because the the iframes were just enough that i would squeak by um and like i would rather there be a balanced counterplay than play a character like i picked gengar fully out of just like my love for the character and accidentally mm. fell into the character that most people thought was a little broken <laughs> um but so i'm like fine that seems like a fine nerf like make it so that i have to choose my engagements a little more right um he's a type of moba character that's like an initiator a kind of glass cannony type where mm-hmm. you have to choose the right moment or else if your combo doesn't go off and they don't die you're gonna get blown up because you after that my auto attacks are shit uh it's all about those moves and that combo um unfortunately some somehow in the change that changes that they made they totally broke hex and it, it like literally there's a when you enter the game there's a little uh uh <laughs> pat like uh alert that's like uh we're sorry but currently this move hex has a bug we're sorry for any inconveniences this may cause and it makes you jump onto someone and just fully not do any damage which means you can never it will never reset the cooldown so you're teleporting into someone not hurting them and then you're stuck because you have your teleport is on cooldown right uh, so gengar has a death wish <laughs> yeah gengar's just jumping in and being like take me let's go we're done i'm i'm going i'm already dead but let, let's do it all over again i'm gonna die again um a ghost of a ghost yeah what's funny though is they buffed his other combo which was rarely used among gengar users um it's like a shadow ball which is like you know a ball of void dark darkness that he would throw and it's like that combo never did quite enough damage to justify uh how it worked because it was you would throw the shadow ball and hit someone uh that would slow them down then you would throw out dream eater which would put them to sleep temporarily until someone else hit them and then if you tapped that button again you would teleport to them you would eat their dream which would heal you and deal a lot of damage uh a lot fucking dream in your rocks like i love the dreams yeah what pokemon hikey are scary but go ahead yeah no pokemon so he eats dreams yes he eats dreams is he fucking sandman it's it's my favorite food (laughs) i just love to eat dreams i don't know what to tell you um (laughs) they're delicious is it normal for Pokemon to throw that dark? Yes. No. Oh yes, my god. Very normal. Okay. All my friends are little freaks. The the <laughs> like, fucking the Pokedex entries for so many like there's one yeah. there's a ghost the Pokemon. The Pokedex entry for Drifloo and it yes, where it's just like one oh, I was this bring friendly up. balloon just likes to steal children. Yeah, this friendly balloon likes to uh, uh lead children to their doom by pretending to Sorry. be a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> What's this guy's name? Drif Drifloon? Drifloon? Drif. Drifloon. Yeah, I think you're right. Drift. What? Oh, fuck. Um, let, let me read the... It yeah. looks like a cheerful little balloon, and it is a child stealer. Yes. Drifloon seeks out children due to it desiring co- due to it desiring company, and is known to steal those that mistake it for a regular balloon. However, uh-huh. dislike... 
Hey, fuck you, Driftloon. <laughs> However, it dislikes stealing heavy children. Fucking rude. Wow. No fatties for Driftloon. I didn't, I didn't remember wow. that. God, can't even catch shit. a break from Woo. the Pokeverse. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Driftloons are created from many souls gathering together, and its round body continues to expand as it collects more. When the body explodes, <laughs> the soul unleashes a screeching sound. Yep. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Coming this fall, Werner Herzog's Driftloon. It's like a balloon deflating, except the, instead of a wheezing air noise, it's the souls of children escaping. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Um, Imagine yeah, living no. in this universe where just like a wild animal um, could shoot fire at you <laughs> at any time or put you to sleep and then eat your dreams. The, the the Pokedex entry in black and white is, these Pokemon are called signposts for wandering spirits. Children holding them will sometimes vanish. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Pokemon often, especially with their ghost and like dark type Pokemon, will go real dark and just like, oh, f- or like, even like fucking Cubone. Cubone is wearing the skull of its dead mother. That's why it's got a skull head. <laughs> like uh that is that is the pokemon series they are pocket monsters <laughs> shit that, that, yeah i didn't realize the monsters was capitalized yeah, yeah. damn oh but anyways okay they they buffed they buffed the the dream eater combo it feels better to use now i feel like i can actually use it because the thing is like you would teleport behind whoever you put to sleep but there was no way to teleport without putting someone to sleep so you would teleport in and you wouldn't have an out um, so it was harder to use because it never quite dealt enough damage to like secure kills on its own. Um, but now they buffed that enough that like I feel like I can use that combo all right, and it kind of feels like to me like they might have broken hex a little on purpose just to get people to force people to use the other combo for a little bit. Um, who knows? Maybe it was just a happy accident. But it turns out my boy is still okay, not as scary maybe. As he used to be, but still definitely usable. Um, used them in a couple ranked matches and didn't feel too. I, I I did get less kills than normal, but maybe that's okay for the for the sake of the balance of the game. Kado uh, doesn't always need to feast. Kado <laughs> yeah, sometimes Kado can share some of the glory yeah, with the other snack. children. <laughs> Uh, the children who are learning their first MOBA, uh, despite Kata's best efforts, just be like, get good, scrub. Oh, God. Is it, you can tell when an eight-year-old is just getting pulverized, right? Like, oh, you yeah. can, it's obvious when the yes. children who are like, new Pokemon game are playing against a League of Legends pro and they just get <laughs> crushed. You can tell when yeah, someone I'll- just walks up to another Pokemon and starts attacking and you're like, what are you, this is wrong. That you should be farming. You should be getting XP and getting stronger. This is not how MOBAs work. You can't just walk up and ignore all the other little. You can't ignore the creeps and expect anything to get done. Oh, poor children. Yeah. Well, yeah. Except these children are also going to be forged in the fires of these MOBAs Absolutely. as well, and so in years they're just going to be dominant. Like, um, you know, one of my friend's kids grew up playing League of Legends. Was just astonishingly good uh, by the time they were tween and then they graduated out, graduated out of that to be like you know what i'm gonna do 
really into Tarkov now. I was like, that's <laughs> yeah. great, kid. Yeah. Proud of you. You know, one of my first games ever was SimCity, and now I literally min-max every single simulation game I can possibly get my hands on, so that really scans. Like, yep. <laughs> really, really scans, you know? Yeah, just increasingly you're moving toward like, no, I need to, I, I need to, I need to chase a, a higher high at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, There's an incredible YouTube channel I started watching. Uh, it's a city planner playing city planning games. So I've heard of this. Oh yeah, my yeah. god, I'm going to link this to you. This guy's in- this guy is incredible. Number one, because I'm learning so much about city planning and like the hierarchy of roads, which he talks about constantly. And two, it's just. And incredible to watch him build a city and then talk about how cities actually work and how decisions are made in cities. He talks about how uh, he's very much the thing he's is like he refuses to do is build utility pipes that are not underneath roads, which I find very interesting because he said to build it underneath like someone's property, the city would need to have so many different kinds of permits. You know, the road is public property. They go under the roads. That's how it works. And it's it's he's just a good vibe. Also, yeah, what's it, what's it called? Like uh, a city from, from the ground down to hell, or something like rite of passage, where like the owner just owns yeah the land all the way down. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Basically, where it's just like you can't do anything on that road on that land unless the owner gives you permission. Even yep. if you own all the roads and all the land adjacent to it, like all the way down, that's theirs. So, learning about ordinances, stuff that people in their 30s like, listeners to this podcast. You can, if right. you're under 30, just leave now. <laughs> Gita, I got something for you to watch. Well, City council meetings. Oh my God, I started yes. like I, I like I'm starting to get into my local city council meetings, and they're so fascinating because it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, they really do just tweet it out. They really do just say like the like stupid or nefarious shit yeah. that they're up to. <laughs> oh, they do. And you're just like, wait, what? Wait, hold on, what? Uh, like, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm wa- I'm watching the city the city council meeting, and they're like, hey, can we uh get money to send our police to uh traffic accident reconstruction school? Which sounds like a reasonable thing to do. And they're like, sorry, we don't have money for that kind of travel. And it's like, well, can't we dip into the police trust funds? No, those are only for uh, like war on drugs purposes. And I was like, wait, what? And so, and someone's like, so wait, this what? is. And the council members like, oh, so that's why that money, like, so like, if it were SWAT training, and they're they like, exactly, because that supports uh, like anti drug policies. Uh, but like traffic accident reconstruction is like not really the purpose of those trust funds. And I was like, what trust funds? What <laughs> like is there? Like there's like police endowed chairs for like tear gas, uh, like, yep. like the the Chamber of Commerce Memorial like riot shield, uh, like scholarship yeah. trust. There's so much you can figure out about your local town and city's politics just by like reading one article in a local newspaper or going to a city council meeting or talking to a city council person, like at all. Like uh, discovering that in New York City, the police just have a secret unlimited budget. <laughs> You yeah. know, that's something that was an incredible discovery, but it's just public. Like, they'll just tell you, yeah, the well, police have unlimited money in New York. <laughs> and what what brought to mind was um, at the last council meeting, like our city council now, fully half of their business is them parachuting in 
to different streets and being like, we need a four-way stop here. We need traffic out of control. We need to put in a four-way stop. We need a stop sign here. Uh, can we get a one-way here? Uh, can we paint some more pedestrian crossing lines here? But they're doing it on a like case-by-case basis just when people are like, uh, people are using my road as a cut-through, and I don't like that. Can oh you God, put yeah. a stop to it? And so I'm watching them do this, and then like finally some, one of the city council members was like, um, hey – we should have a traffic engineer, right? Like that position's been open for how long? Like a year? And they're like, yeah, we just, um, we can't get enough money. Like we keep losing candidates to every surrounding town because like we're trying to like get a traffic engineer on the cheap. And uh, they're like, well, we, it feels like we should probably get one because we keep doing this. And they're like, yeah, but you know, it's so much money to get a traffic engineer. Oh my God. Uh, so it was just very funny because like half the city council's business is them just like literally not even playing SimCity, it's more like you're taking a SimCity map and just planting, like, traffic stops in more places to try to solve for the dangerous levels of traffic. And they're like, why does traffic keep working its way out into smaller and smaller side streets? And I'm like, hmm, it's a mystery. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I originally started watching a city planner play a city planning games because I was like, how do I even begin to make a highway connection in city skylines? Oh my god! Well, <laughs> highway interchanges are why I stopped playing that game. I don't know I how to like, do it. <laughs> they don't tell you how. They give you like a clover leaf, and they're like, "You figure it out, bitch." And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> yeah, it's I. I remember the end of my love affair with City Skylines was when, and by the way, towns have done this, so it's not like it's not like this is unprecedented, but basically, you know how every vision of Gotham City, always, you know it's fucked up, because there's like massive highways cutting through the sky Mm -hmm. in the middle of the city, Mm -hmm. and like Basically, the way the the reason like they kept using Chicago was because like Lower Wacker Drive mm-hmm. looked like the sort of space that Gotham would just be jam packed with mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a massive exactly. undercity built on like concrete barriers uh, and and pillars. Um, I was like, oh, I need to get more traffic into my downtown, but I have this thriving downtown. I don't know what to do. And then the city was big enough and had enough money that I was like, I could pay for the big bridges. And I could build a series of massive suspension bridges arcing over the city and just feeding traffic, just descending like paracars, descending (laughs) off these bridges into downtown near their most convenient locations. And my thriving city was just like reduced to a smoldering ruin uh, (laughs) within like, first of all, like people start using the roads basically the minute they're built. And so like I'm trying to build these massive public works projects and people were like, great, I'm going to get on this bridge. And I'm like, it's not ready. It doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) Um, But then even when it was done, I was just like, it was, it looked cool in Gotham as hell. That is true. But also when you turned on like the traffic heat map, what I had done was all those beautiful offshoots where people were just like descending and ascending from these massive suspension bridges. Um, all of them turned into like multi-block gridlock, mm-hmm. just arcing out mm-hmm. from the bridge ramps. I love when um, I think I've solved a traffic problem in City Skylines, and then you play the game in another way to differ a little while, and then you go back to your newly made connection, and it's just like backed up so far, it's literally off the map. Yeah. God, the- traffic in that game makes me crazy. <laughs> 
No, but it's also my favorite part. I mean, they're, they're traffic sim studio. Uh, so it, it makes sense that it would be like this, but like optimizing the traffic and trying to get people onto uh, like, like Metro, uh, like, like bus routes and, and, and streetcars. Oh, I love that shit. Honestly, I love, like, what I need to do with you and Motherboard's Aaron Gordon is just to get you to play uh, one of my save files on stream with a fucked up traffic and to fix it for me. Aaron Gordon <laughs> is a transit reporter uh, at Motherboard. He like really was hitting the post office beat really hard during the pandemic as well. Um, but like he can just talk. <laughs> I the other day he asked me like if I had any keyboard recommendations, and I was like, I can't just write an entire essay for you in Slack, my dude. And then he was like, See, this is how I feel when people ask me what is the best subway line. <laughs> so he's the one we need. We need him. Yeah, uh, we need to. One, I, I, I anticipate one of his first objections is going to be Skyline's anticipate, like, prioritizes cars too much, which is it does. true. It does. Um, but also, the world I don't does. Think, <laughs> have any city builders done a good job of, like, their scale doesn't lend itself real well to, like, pedestrian pathing? Well, City Skylines has actually added a huge deal of pedestrian pathing. And this is the guy, the YouTuber I watch, City Planner Plays, talks a lot about the importance of pedestrian pathing and builds a lot of pedestrian paths, which I think helps his general traffic problems. It's just that I think as people in the world, we are not trained to see the needs of pedestrians as valid. (laughs) You know, so when we're playing these huge top down games, we're not thinking, those people who live in that house now need have a 20-minute walk if they want to go to any businesses, where if I built a path for them, it would be cut in half. You know, they were incentivized to look solely and exclusively at car networks because the roads are more visible to us in the UI. Well, and so much of this, I think, is also driven by, um, I don't remember where I heard this, but like that a lot of business owners will tend to overemphasize the needs of drivers in like what like because customers who come in and complain about parking are complaining about parking they, it's it's self-selecting mm-hmm. and so you will hear that that's the complaint you're always getting and you're like damn like we, we got a parking problem uh you know in this neighborhood but you don't hear the people who just walk there being like hey it was great just being able to walk here mm-hmm. um and right. so like you have this feedback loop of people trying to drive into a place being like ah, it sucks i hate it um driving the set this this perception that like what we need is more parking and then more of that space opens up and weirdly foot traffic doesn't increase uh and the increased access to parking doesn't bring a ton of customers um weird yeah so there's there's that too god you know what i could talk about city council meetings all day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but instead okay um, people under wanna, 30 come back in now <laughs> hopefully yeah. you just went and did something else for a bit <laughs> yeah. um i'm gonna check in briefly on uh so i was supposed to play things i didn't i played hell let loose um still <laughs> in there uh you can check out me kato and austin in a tank uh in stalingrad uh the other day um we were driving around in uh dog tank uh that was yeah. our that was our squad designation um Awoo. and it was great yeah it, <laughs> it ruled like Actually, honestly yeah. um we finally like found our groove and we were we were on the hunt in in stalingrad uh just like 
you know, having that thing clamor over piles of burned out buildings and rubble, uh, slowly like working its way across the city to, to drive out German positions. It was, it was incredible. We had a few great moments of us all being like, on, like just sharing the same brain as we like spot engaged targets and like moved as one. It was beautiful. It was uh, a feeling of togetherness. Um, <laughs> I like the tank is now my womb uh, and yeah. I long to return to it. Um, Beautiful, so warm, sh- and dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so people should check that out. I think we we will continue playing a bit more uh, Hell Let Loose. Um, speaking of uh, wandering, brutal, brutalized, and twisted landscapes <laughs> in uh, the Soviet Union or, or the or the the former Soviet Union, uh, Kato, you are now also playing Chernobylite. Yeah, yes. I am I am now uh you abandoned the <laughs> great ace attorney. Yeah. The, so that you could go to Chernobyl. There were um there there were a couple of rush it's actually very funny. It's a Russian ship that you're traveling from Japan to Great Britain on. So, you know, I'm just uh I'm doing the pre the preamble there, you know, ha- hanging out in Russia a little bit longer before heading heading back to that game but yeah um i wanted to check it out after austin mentioned it um because it seemed interesting like i wanted to kind of see what the the whole base building uh exploration bits felt like and i have a question for you are you playing this game in russian or english you touched it right uh yeah i'm playing in russian okay that's a smart choice I did that too initially. That was great, and then I I, I got curious uh, on like day two or whatever, and um, decided to swap it over. And the the <laughs> the casting choices are bizarre to say the least. Uh, and is Igor and not resonating with you in in English? He sounds like well, I mean, maybe it's technically better but he sounds like an english um like like from britain an english uh like oh that's col- prestige tv though. university professor or something that should not be wandering the waste like no like this guy sounds like uh he'd be scared to hold a gun much less like be shooting people in the head uh out in the fucking uh exclusion zone you know whereas uh, yeah you don't know what you don't know what they're saying but when you hear the russian lines you're like yeah, this is the language the, of the, the kalashnikov <laughs> yes this is uh, <laughs> uh it's just like the igor's voice actor has like a very deep voice in the in the russian and like just feels like a more intimidating figure from that uh where this guy was like very kind of uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like very academic and seemed yeah. like more out of place. Even though Igor technically is a, a, a scientist, so yeah, I'm not sure. That's interesting because yeah. I'm not sure that's a bad call. Because like the um, I think it was just so, grading having heard the the deep voiced, intimidating Igor for. I mean, uh, this is why hours. I end up gravitating <laughs> towards the Russian dialogue in, like, the Metro series, why I end up gravitating towards it in, uh, like, uh, Polish dialogue in The Witcher uh, is because it often does just, like, both sound a little more correct uh, for the setting because these do feel like foreign experiences. Uh, but but also, I think maybe I can't judge the, because I don't understand, I can't really judge the voice performance that 
that closely. Yeah. Um, whereas like once I understand the words, uh, it, it becomes a little more up for debate. Cause I'm not like hearing you talk about that. I'm not sure, you know, the conceit for this game is you're this, yeah, you're this egghead professor who's like, I must get back to the Chernobyl exclusion zone to rescue my lost love, Tatiana, uh, from <laughs> the clutches of the phantom zone where she's been banished. Um, where she's calling for un- me specifically too. Like you've seen her. She yeah. Want, yeah. Or what you think is her. We don't, right. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of up in the air right now. This um, is the other thing uh, that I find so interesting. Like, it feels in some ways like Chernobylite is, there's so many different ways of approaching, to what degree are you adapting uh, Roadside Picnic? To mm-hmm. what degree are you adapting uh, Tarkovsky's Stalker? And to what degree are you just covering the GSC Stalker series uh, right. that, that came out? This one for me, when I when I play it, I think maybe because of, I think in terms of the emphasis on, um, like, Igor is kind of the sad uh, like figure on the on this quest. It it reminds me a bit more of the novella, but I think in terms of the vibe of like you're building this base and like working with this group of mercenaries, and you're basically like. That you are intruders in the zone, which is dominated by like this hostile military force. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that, it feels very much like the film in some ways. Um, the film and- is so beautiful and so meditative. It feels like translating that experience to any other medium is nearly impossible. So I'm interested in how you how the the game is like the film. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's it, it's partly I think. Maybe because you are the one character who is recognizably um, like your motivation is deeply personal uh, mm-hmm. and you're surrounded by characters for whom uh, this is very much a job and a profession. And that mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of the dynamic in the film. Yes. Uh, where, where the like, main character has like a religious devotion to the zone and asks you to trust and believe in the zone in like a way that you do with faith, with, like religion. Whereas the other people, you know, that famous scene of like, they're just like literally in front of the house, but they make it, they they can't walk across the field to it. They have to go around. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I think at its best, like it, it is, it is channeling a bit of that, but I don't know, Kato, at the, at the, at the same time, like this is such a collectible, lootable, craftable game that yeah. like, it seems so at odds with the vibe sometimes. Yeah, I I feel like I I like being out on missions more than dealing with the the actual base building stuff, but the need for resources and the the kind of scarcity of certain types does well, th- this game does something interesting with with killing enemies, right? You take uh psyche damage basically. Your mental condition worsens when you kill another human being. Um which I think is an interesting choice. Even when you get like a stealth kill until you get, there's an upgrade where you can start knocking people out. And like that, the upgrade is you don't kill them. Therefore your psyche, you don't take psyche damage. Oh, um, I just learned how to not murder people. Yeah. Congratulations to me. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that something about the sparseness of it is really nice. Um, 
it, as far as like being out in the zone, there's like just enough like environmental intrigue uh, versus like amount of enemies. It's never really all that populated. I feel like I don't uh, like sometimes games that include sort of military uh, outfits will like or like really want you to engage with gunplay will will throw enemies at you at a pace that is like you know this is the this is the fun part quote unquote but this is not that game right like they they especially before you get that uh stealth upgrade they don't want you to kill people you you're sneaking around as much as possible and um it's 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 i've i've come to really uh appreciate the environmental like the the zone looks beautiful like the 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 foliage and like all of the like dilapidated buildings and like the ways that the earth kind of doesn't like there'll be sections where you're like walking around you think you're on a hill and then you're like you come out on top of the other end it's like oh this was a building that's like half buried somehow right or things like that where it's just like the the kind of way that it's become overgrown is really uh, more interesting, I think, than the sort of Last of Us model, for example, where it's like it's just a lot of green, but the buildings are all kind of still there and like vi- easily visible. This is like, no, nature is really back and taking over in a weird and kind of um, exaggerated way, right? Um, and uh, for the most part, I feel like it kind of nails that. Uh, wandering the wilderness vibe until some of the like I hit one mission like story mission thing early that broke somehow and like totally killed like the feeling it's like you basically fall into a trap and you're like slowly dying and I had some healing on me like just enough to like not die too quickly and then I couldn't find what I was supposed to do to get out of the trap. And then at a certain point, the, and I I think this might've been a bug, but it's an unfortunate one. Like the poison stopped affecting me and like all the tension was gone. I like started to see the seams of this room in a really weird way of just like, Oh, what, what, like I'm on a pixel hunt now. I'm like really aware of this being a game all of a sudden, which is really unfortunate, but, um, I haven't, uh, played much further past that so i don't know if that ever becomes a problem as the game gives you more specific missions um but like just going out and like scrounging for stuff feels really uh like a really good that's the vibe i want (laughs) um yeah yeah i think we're gonna have to revisit uh like next week i think i think we're all in a similar place of like games bounce on the edge right yeah where like it could it, like it could turn out i'm still like this could turn out to be amazing but also there's just enough like a, a bit of the jank you 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 reference but also yeah like i don't know that the base building does it for me and the game really wants it to right um and that's like it's like that's all attention. right yeah i do think it's fun that things like a bare bulb lamp <laughs> Uh, make your companions happier. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, love a good homey hideout by yeah. having just exposed lighting. I do like that. Um, there's like, yeah, there's like partitions. You can make rooms in your hideout. Like, I I like that in theory, but at the same time, the 
resources feel so scarce that I'm like, why would I use it on making a wall when I could just put this light bulb next to their cot and it'll be fine? <laughs> I don't know. Um, like I want yeah. to, I want to like some some of those things feel like if they were free or cheaper and maybe didn't affect the mechanics of the actual base building more, I might engage with them more of just like, I want to put up walls and make little rooms. Like that seems like fun. Sure. But because those specific types of things are tied into the mechanical limitations of, of, of what you use your materials for, I'm like, you know, kind of less interested in, in engaging with the whole thing as a, as like a, a base building and more just like a, here are the kiosks I'm going to, to, to craft stuff. Also, this game has, uh, every crafting system has, like, maybe a, like, its base units are a little preposterous, but, like, this game has in a, a remarkable amount of faith in herbs yeah. uh, as a, <laughs> a thing that you, you'll be, like, things that you would not think you need herbs for yeah. turn out to be, like, herb critical. It's like, Igor. We need a bed. I am going mad from lack of sleep. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get you on that. I'm gonna get a bed for you, no problem. And I'm like, cool, got my got my mechanical part. Sure. I, I build a bed frame. Absolutely. You need more herbs, Igor. And I'm like, <laughs> herbs? You're stuffing that, the is that, how, is that how beds work? Yeah, I guess you're stuffing the cot with herbs, just yeah. handfuls <laughs> of that's not gonna that's gonna last. That's I got you covered, Oliver. It's gonna smell great. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna be sleeping on a bed of rosemary oh. and cilantro. Calming. <laughs> yeah. Um just a bed full of like moldering uh oh, God. like <laughs> moldering <laughs> yeah. herb, herb herb beds. Uh yeah, so we'll 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 come back to that uh and and come back with a Chernobylite uh report next next week, hopefully. Uh we should wrap up with a couple questions here. Mm, um, bucket. Mossy writes I was surprised when the recent Mass Effect trilogy remaster came and went with only the briefest acknowledgement on the pod. Was this a casualty of simply being too large an investment of time for you all so it fell behind the cracks, or was this a deliberate omission? I certainly have moved further left in the time since I played the original, granting me new perspectives on many of the ways Mass Effect frames the story it's trying to tell, but turning the remaster for nostalgia's sake has me as endeared as it does aggrieved. I'm curious if I'm missing something here. With idle curiosity... Uh, Tomas. Um, I'm curious because I'm I'm still interested in playing the Mass Effect remaster, but also, I guess for me in my head, it's like it feels like I didn't play those games that long ago. I think yeah. this is part of the compression of time as you get older. Where I'm like, no, didn't I just play Mass Effect three? Like, I feel like I know those games pretty well. And there's been for me, there's definitely been less interest. It's it's not been like a decision that. I don't want to look at the Ma Mass Effect Legendary Edition. For me, it just didn't feel entirely necessary at this moment. I'm curious where y'all are at with this. Uh, I never played the original. And yeah. when I realized it's really just a game about being a space cop, I was just kind of like, you know, I think I'll let the people who love this love this and I can move on with my life. I feel like... The th some of, some of the thing that like a a re-release or a remaster like promises is like higher fidelity. We're updating it for modern standards. You look back at Mass Effect One on PC at least, and it's like this is fine. It's like not amazing, but you can yeah. still play the first one, and it'll be all right. Like some of the textures are a little dated, but it's like not that. It's not that old of a game. 
I think you're right. Like, I mean, partially, yeah, it has been. What when, when did uh, was 2012 that um three came out? But they did a good enough job with the the kind of art in that in those games that like it doesn't feel in my mind so starkly like the way that playing a PS one game would feel th- these days. Like that's why like that remake for resident evil uh still holds up because that was made after the fact like in in 2007 or was it it's like i feel like things from the late early aughts you know from the first uh decade of the of the of the millennium still hold up enough that i'm like well i don't i don't need to re like it's sharp enough in my mind that i don't need to revisit it and it's like not a different enough experience to like really make it more interesting like i don't know like just thinking of like the remake of final fantasy right like they're doing something completely different with that or the remakes they did of two of resident evil 2 recently where it's like that plays completely differently and they've added different mechanics right like this doesn't seem to do any of that other than be like it looks better where there's better textures we change the lighting models and i'm like i don't that's not what i came to mass effect for in the first place it was like an interest like the dialogue system and like all the characters was what was interesting about that game um not really how well lit anything was yeah i i think yeah so i think it fundamentally come comes down to that like i think in some ways legendary edition was not as compelling a pitch uh in terms of remasters and yeah just um uh yeah like either either for a lot of us, you'd either seen this recently enough or you're just there's a reason you weren't on board with it. Uh, so I think that's where that comes down. Uh, Anonymous in Vancouver writes, Dear EmployeeAdvice.com, on episode 410, someone wrote about a meeting invite sent at 8 p.m. and scheduled for 7 a.m. the next day. I work in game dev and have encountered two kinds of last minute meetings. One, meeting for five minutes from now. Two, surprise meeting tomorrow. There is never an agenda for these meetings. There's no explanation. <laughs> these meetings both mean people are getting laid off. Oh. Meeting for five minutes from now has happened a lot. It means some people are going to a meeting room. Uh, sorry. It means some people are going to meeting room A and some to another room. And the people in room A are keeping their jobs. I've only had one surprise meeting tomorrow, and it was because our Xbox 360 game became a launch title for a new console. We had a new budget, a new publisher and unreleased hardware, so they turned off our keyboards until we signed a new NDA. Our, our key cards until we signed a new NDA. Turning off keyboards would be much more uh, impressive, yeah. though. It'd be like <laughs> yeah. it, the, those, those hacker scenes in movies where like, everything stops working even though it, it should. Uh, they turned off our key, cords, key cards until we signed a new NDA. Some people didn't have an NDA waiting for them. There were PMs in the atrium all morning ushering everyone into the kitchen to get the speech and forms. Since we were repeatedly warned not to tell anyone what changed until they'd signed their NDA, the one guy on vacation during the meeting had an anxiety-inducing surprise when his key card didn't work on his return. Oh, my God. Did anyone show up on time for this meeting? Probably not. I think the PMs were there all morning, but last-minute meetings are ones we're trained to pay special attention to. I mean, that sounds fine. hellish. Yeah. Certainly true in, in media, honestly. Um, you know, sometimes I wake up and my company is trending on Twitter and I'm like, today's going to be a very interesting day, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think 
media definitely has some of this, you know, when you get an all hands email, you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, wonder what we're going to learn about how this company is failing today. <laughs> um, definitely a harrowing experience though. Like you do, and it is learned, right? You learn how to, your emotional reactions from going through this repeatedly. You know, like when the company is trying to signal you some urgent, but pretty bad news and trying to also do it in a way where you don't even have time to react to it. Yeah. It's the, yeah, the, the Dread Pirate Roberts aspect of these kinds of experiences uh, is just, so hard to deal with because also like these things undermine trust in management so much uh where it's it's a bit like if at any moment the course of this business could have made a hard left turn and a bunch of people are getting fired but until yesterday you were telling everyone like keep doing what you're doing like we are we are on the right track and then the same people have been in charge of like you know put, pointing in this direction are the ones like laying off a huge number of the staff like i don't know from my perspective like you can pretend you, you still trust those people you can pretend they still have the authority they did before but they really don't right like at that mm -hmm. point you just kind of are expecting this person either lies to their staff or they have no pull you know what i mean like mm -hmm. they do yeah. not have enough agency or power at this place and they're not informed enough to be able to tell me anything about what is actually happening here and what I can expect from my job. Um, yeah. And the fact that seems standard in the games industry um, is just is just terrifying. Mm -hmm. The lack of trust does seem to be a managerial strategy, weirdly. You know, like keeping people on their toes. You don't have time to organize. You don't have time to share, you know, problems you have with how management is operating with your coworkers. You don't have time to get to know people if everyone's a contract worker and you don't know if someone's going to be here today or not be here tomorrow. And if you get an email for a, a meeting in five minutes or an emergency meeting like tomorrow, you will learn mostly to look out for yourself in those scenarios because you won't be able to have time even to discuss what could happen at those meetings with your coworkers. Yeah. Um, well, and the fact that like things, things like that, a bunch of people are being snap fired too. Mm -hmm. um, it's weird, but like this, it's like old timey factory shit. Yeah. Where like people <laughs> like, you know, the morning shift shows up and they're just locked out of the factory because they're being shut. Like it's being shut down and they can't be a lot yeah. anywhere near it because really they don't want them anywhere near like the infrastructure of the company uh, at this point. And yeah. they don't want, uh, yeah, they, they don't want everyone to be in the room with the stuff mm -hmm. uh, and the work product mm -hmm. to have a conversation about like, Hey, is this fucked up? Yeah. Uh, and instead, you just sort of do these uh, sort of ambush tactics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I don't know. Like, I, I think it is so. Um, I mean, I, I'm with you, Gita. Like, I think there, there's a lot of intent behind it. Uh, and I think it does kind of give lie to this notion of the goal in these workplaces is efficiency first, because I don't think it's efficient. Like, no. I think once a once that culture of fear exists, um, like. I think enough time has gone by that I can speak frankly about this, about like my early days advice. Um, throughout the first two years I worked here, uh, I was on a running clock. Like I was always saying within three months, this job is going to be gone. That was just how I approached every mm -hmm. day. Um, and if you're in that mindset, 
you're not thinking about well, where's the where's our team going to be in six months or yeah. a year? You're not Where, thinking like, about a team. <laughs> no, you're thinking <laughs> about this guy right yeah. here. Yeah, I am not going to be here very soon, mm-hmm. so I am going to uh, focus on the day to day. And meanwhile, like I'm just going to be frantically like socking money away and like trying to uh, just dwell on like what my next move post this job uh, is, is going to be, and. It doesn't mean like I was phoning it in, but it does just mean that like I think there there are a lot of people at Vice, uh, and I think this is true of a lot of companies who at various points have like had this time horizon that doesn't allow for long term thinking, mm-hmm. um, because you're thinking about well I'm going to be looking for a job any any day now could 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 come any time, uh, and for a lot of people that that view was a hundred percent accurate. Like I I survived like multiple rounds of layoffs mostly by luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like other people who were engaged in that same thinking weren't as lucky and they were absolutely correct to be thinking they're going to yank this rug out from under me. Um, and then companies kind of wonder like, you know, where's, where's loyalty? Uh, yeah, you why know, aren't people giving a hundred percent? Every time a new shot, a new site opens up, I'm, I always tell people who are considering applying there like, Hey, at the worst you'll get a year and a half about you know and then you can ride the wave to your next job because uh, it's just how I've been trained to think about media in general I my previous employer geo media especially under the great hill management from uh it's it was absolutely like a very similar thing of like constantly pulling the rug under from you random announcements changing broad swaths of editorial policy without consulting the union and then in union meetings they would get us bogged down in minutia so that we would not actually talk about the random severe problems one extremely long fight had to do with the union wanting to have its own halloween party but geo media management insisting that the union can't do anything social inside the office blah 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 really as a way to get us to stop talking about all the other shit that we were upset about yep and it's in those cases where you're like, management is so unwilling to negotiate that they will derail everything to get us literally to stop asking questions, then you lose your ability to feel solidarity with that company or with that team. Just time after time after time, you get ground down into the ground. Even if you had a good union or had a good system of organization or liked your workplace before that, it's really difficult to deal with management that is not willing to treat you as anything other than a cog that fits into a huge machine. And that is the way that you treat a person like a cog is to destabilize them every single day because you are saying, signaling as management, your stability, your mental health doesn't matter at all. We need you to complete a job and however you need to get that done, do it, but don't complain. There's, uh, so... I know there's a lot of issues with with, with uh, Aaron Sorkin, but a thing always leaps uh, comes to mind is uh, there's a moment in Sports Night. He's maybe his best work. Uh, there's a <laughs> moment in Sports Night where um, the the head of the the team Isaac uh, calls the team into a meeting room and he's like, "Hey, I just want you all to know there's going to be an article uh, in uh, the Wall Street Journal tomorrow. Don't worry about it." And he tries to leave the room, and everyone just loses their shit. And they're like, what are you, Agatha Christie? <laughs> no, like, what's the article going to be? Um, and I think about that a lot in terms of 
if it is an important meeting, you better give people a pricey or a thumbnail of like what that meeting is going to be about. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you need to have let word filter, filter out into multiple grapevines that like, hey, some bad shit is in the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just do the whole like, uh, we need an all hands or, or all department wide meeting, uh, you know, five minutes from now or, or tomorrow, you probably want to include the note of like, Hey, this is nothing. Just tell people like this is not like nobody's nobody's losing the job or yeah. like nobody's like work is being blown up uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. And I, I guess the other thing that uh, just drives me absolutely uh, up a wall is I feel like as a manager, part of your job is to make sure that you don't need to call meetings with no no warning. Like right, like that's <laughs> that not seems like a big part. <laughs> It's like, that's not to say like everyone has to be flexible at times, but for me, like to put it in game mechanic terms, I'm like to change a plan to change people's plans, about how the day is going to look, you can do it. It has a higher mana, mana cost for, <laughs> for everyone concerned. And so like, yeah. is it worth hitting that button to uh, like have this sort of snap reaction? And most cases it probably isn't, but um. I guess if you exist in a culture of crisis, um, then it doesn't, it, you don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, like, it just, like, like, absolutely, like, if somebody drops something into my schedule for tomorrow, and tomorrow is already pretty well booked, I won't say anything, because it's not unreasonable, but I'll quietly be like, fuck, god damn it. Like, I, I had that tired, like, <laughs> yeah. multiple things booked, it was on my calendar, it's on my cal! How can you do this? It was on my cal, check my yeah. cal. Yeah, you know, there were days uh, at my boyfriend's old job where he'd have, like, five meetings, just, like, check-in meetings in a day, and then some, uh, one of his managers would be like, oh, we scheduled another meeting for you for later in the day. And he's like, when am I supposed to work? When am I supposed to do the things you've assigned to me for my job? Mm. <laughs> so I'm in meetings literally the entire day. <laughs> Why? Yeah. It's it's not efficient. It is not an efficient way to optimize the amount of time people are actually at their desks doing their job, which is supposed to be the thing that we're all here to do. <laughs> yep. Um. All right. I think we will leave it there uh, for for this week. If you if you're a manager, uh, make sure those meeting invites go out like a couple days ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you tell people don't... not to worry if they don't have any reason to worry. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Just ask yourself if this were a drawing room mystery, is this meeting invite <laughs> the sort of thing that would presage somebody getting murdered? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that is. I think that is like does a does a like detective constable show up after the, the day after this meeting invite and start asking like so why would anyone have had a reason to kill insert manager mm-hmm. here um yeah that should that should be your guide uh if does, a, would this fit the narrative of mystery if it feels like a sobbing widow has written your meeting invite please rethink it <laughs> Dear team, at last it has come to this. Please report to, <laughs> to conference room B. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can you can send your questions to gamingadvice.com with the subject line question. Very important. You use the subject line question or questions uh, because so many PR now have this email address that I have trouble seeing anything in it unless it hits some very <laughs> particular filters. 
Uh, so use question, use questions. Uh, you can keep up with us at waypoint.vice.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Gita, where can people follow you? You can find me at XOXOGossipGita. Kato, every at- day is a new opportunity. Can you get it right today? I I always get it right. Y'all motherfuckers are the ones fucking up over here. At All right, wow. that's Kato underscore appears. We're out of time for Kato's <laughs> Twitter address. Uh, the theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. You can check out our Hell Let Loose uh, tank time on uh, Twitch. I think by the time you hear this, you will also be able to check out Gita and Emily playing uh sims cottage core cottage living I, <laughs> I built a little waypoint cottage with a little uh little sim who's got a dog not a poodle but a very nice dog and i've given her everything she needs and rob you'll be happy to know i'm using the lot challenge simple living which means that you can only cook recipes for which you have the ingredients in your fridge you can't just <laughs> magically apparate all the the vegetables you need. Um, I'm excited to Sounds raise. Like that sim needs a pantry. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, we're gonna. I'm. I'm very excited. It's an extremely good expansion pack, and it's very, very, very British. It's fun, and I. I'm gonna get a cow. Just so you know. Hell yeah. You know. Can always what? use more. Can always use more. Like some uh, of my characters so the- lactose intolerant now, oh, no. but she can still sell the milk, right? You can hang with yeah. the cow. Yeah. Yeah. Just pet it. Just give a look. Yeah. All right. That will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more episodes of Waypoint Radio. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.